Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Benno. We are joined today by three-time Premiership superstar and Brownlow medalist Jason Ackermanis. Jason, how are you going, mate? Thanks for coming on. Morning, brother. Yes, I'm going all right. She's pretty busy. Uh, my day job is real estate, but of course, you know, we've got, uh, you know, cryptocurrency come out a couple of weeks ago, so that's going to be quite busy. And, you know, I've got plenty of things to do today. I've got all these bloody fine people ring, a list of them. I won't bore you with that, but that's life uh, these days, albeit uh, I have been retired for 11 years. So, you know, we're still talking about 20 years this year, though, for the, you know, 2001 Premiership team. It was a great year on a personal level. I, I won the Brownlow on the Monday. We won the flag on the on the Saturday, and I got married a couple of weeks later on the twelfth of October. So, twenty years uh, has come and gone pretty quick. I got to tell you, but that said, it's uh, not a not a bad year to remember. That's for sure. No, absolutely. You know, I think you said twenty years gone by, but you had a profound impact on the league in your time. I think kids are still running around doing their hands on the mouth celebration. I saw Ed Kerno whip it out um, earlier this year. So, your legacy is definitely lasting on the league, mate. Yeah, it'd be good to see someone do a handstand one of these days and take it over. Uh, we got I saw her at the game. I was at the Lions game on the weekend on Saturday where we just qualified into fourth. And just down in front of me, I was having to be sitting in the second tier where behind the goals a little bit with the race where the boys come out, the Lions boys. And there was a kid down there just with the of 12 on. So they would have bought that a long time ago. I'm not even sure. The kid could never have seen me play because she was probably, uh, you know, she, she would have been under 11 maybe. Maybe 11, but no doubt her dad has told her, uh, this, is, this was the house of Acker and you can wear that and she'd wear that proudly. So that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm sure dad's what you got to watch in the YouTube highlights on repeat well, now. Thankfully, we've got YouTube. Imagine yeah. the poor guys back in the 60s and 70s. I mean, Jezelenko and all these kind of blokes, as my colleague comes in, he's going to work him hard. You work hard there, Keg. <laughs> work hard, the great Mike. But yes, he, it, was, uh, it was a very... Uh, uh, crazy times, but you know, you look back and you think, oh my god, you know, you, you four grand finals in a row, and what a team it was. But you know, so much has changed in the league. It, it'd actually be easier in some ways today to to have free agency and a few other things. But then you've got, you know, some crazy stuff that uh, that definitely would have helped as far as you know the way the rules are. We, you know, and the teams who came after us who were really good teams, you know, uh, Geelong, and of course, you know, you had the Hawthorne era and then the Richmond era, but I can tell you, we would have beat those boys by 10 goals. No no worries at all. And that's not being arrogant. I'm just saying that the way it was, if we were in our prime, they were in their prime, same rules, the whole lot. Man, that would have been some some battle. But we would have been, uh, we would have had a good time anyway, that team I played in. I think I think it's an interesting debate, that one. Because I think you look at the yourselves, Geelong, Hawthorne, then Richard, as you mentioned, all probably very different styles of team. You guys were a very physical team. You guys would get the ball your way. And then you had class up forward. You see Hawthorne were a kick, very kicking team, kick heavy. Richmond are all about pressure on the ball. Geelong were all about quick by hands. So do you, do you believe you guys were the, the best team out of that lot and that your style would have held up against all those different styles? Yeah, because we, we did all of them in our own game. You know, we won our own ball. We were, we were very uh, kick, double, sort of two kicks to one handball if we could. We are always a very accurate team, you know, very skillful team even back then. Uh, so I think, uh, and in the pressure, I mean, the pressure goes without saying, we were one of the best pressure teams in that whole era. I mean, our tackling and our, our ability to roll up a line. You see they sort of, you know, come up and they, they always try and pressure and try and lock it in. And you see most of the players are in, in uh, that part of the ground. So, sorry, my phone's going crazy. But I think in the end, it's not really uh, all those techniques and all those players that we would have played on. Uh, we would have just uh, physically been there, but also 
physically, as in, you know, the style of game, uh, physicality to get them one-on-one, but also to, uh, to be able to run with them. Even though we're a, a big, solid team, we had amazing running power through the midfield and lots of speed across the ground. So I had no doubt, except for probably Lynchy, who was always resting because, you know, he's fatigued all the time. He got more fatigue running off the ground than he did playing down there and chasing up. So, you know, he'd always say to his opponent, mate, you better hope it doesn't turn over. You run up there. Uh, and sure as sure as anything, it'd come rolling back real quick, and he'd be there by himself. So he's uh, told you. Um, so obviously, two thousand and one's the start of an incredible dynasty, probably the best we've ever seen. But for yourself, nineteen ninety nine, you pick up a best and fairest award. Is that when you felt personally you were starting to make a stamp on the league? That once you get that recognition from inside the club, you feel like all right now it's still starting to click. Yeah, it was a funny year because Lee came in the end of ninety eight. We'd come last. But what Lee did was he took myself, Justin Lepich, who I drew, who I, who I had the best and fairest with, Chris Johnson and Darrell White, really were forwards at that stage, majority forwards, sometimes in the midfield or in the wing, and uh, and sent our forwards. So he pushed us to the back line. Maxi Kennedy sort of did a lot of the centre-half back stuff for a while, and Lepa certainly took that up uh, later, sort of during that 99 year. But, man, it was, it was that genius in Lee. I suppose being behind the ball, I'd already been tag, tagging at some stages during that period in the midfield. So I had the discipline to lock down some really good forwards. Um, most of them were quick Aboriginal players, but, you know, Paul Williams and these kind of guys who had really good leg speed, shut them down and then go up the field or, or slice it through with my kicking myself. And Chris Johnson were able to, you know, hit targets everywhere. And that really helped our offence. And the midfield was able to sort of get out in space and, you know, without breaking stride and getting into our forward line. At that stage, we obviously had a really superstar forward line. Alistair Lynch, the whole game plan sort of ran around him early. <laughs> Don't worry, he'll tell you about it. And Daniel Bradshaw would come in as uh, as he needed, as he would, late in games, late in quarters uh, as a lead-up forward. But then you had Jonathan Brown was very young at the stage. He was sort of didn't play a lot of games, uh, certainly in the premiership years. I think the, the first three years he played, he was 18, 19, 20. So we won. We didn't really have him in 99, 2000. So... You know, all these things were building, you know, to go into defence, become one of the best and fairest winner, but also an All-Australian, myself and Lepa were able to have really good years. I think the, the genius and Lee to give us another role was so important for us, but that, that enabled us to sort of show our flair on the offence, but have the discipline, excuse me, to go down into defence and, and shut down and do the job down there, which Lee was, was really concerned about when he came in late 98 because we just, we're just getting scored against too easy, he said. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Obviously, then you, you're down back, you make that work. 2001 rolls around, everything starts to click for the boys. You're playing a bit more midfield, obviously, a bit more forward getting on the attacking side of things. But 2001, what didn't go assumingly early on for the boys, you guys lost to Carlton pretty heavily and then to Adelaide back-to-back weeks. You then come out and beat Essendon the next week. Was that the, like the click you guys needed, like the kick up the backside when you get smashed by Carlton and Princess Park, Adelaide then roll you, you come into face what many thought at the time was the best team we'd seen and you do them pretty comfortably. Were those two losses the click you needed to realise what you had? Yeah. Yeah, it does look like it. And we always say that that would, I always stay category that really wasn't the change Early in the year, I think we were four and four and we were just sort of around ninth. And we were a bit frustrated because we were playing some pretty good footy and we weren't able to win. A lot of travel early. I had played an unbelievable half of a year in the midfield. So 2000, like even in 99, Lee would halfway through the third quarter, most people never picked it up. I'd go from, you know, back pocket up to the midfield and start scoring goals. And 
and he used that as a weapon for some time. And then he said, look, your, your fitness is now really good. You've, you've got the discipline on offense, defense. So the midfield sort of, I, I kept running through there 2000, 2001. I bloody, I'd say this and I'm not joking. I was carrying that midfield, even though we had a superstar midfield for large chunks of the game, playing really good footy. And by the time the Carlton game, look, though Princess Park was always a hard place to win. They, they flogged us that day. I did hamstrings. So I always tell Lee, mate, even I couldn't save us. You know, it was, it was early in the game. But the next week I played, uh, which is unusual to play after a small sort of hamstring tear. But, you know, our physios were unbelievable. Lee, Lee never thought it could happen, but it did. Though He was arguing with our, our one of our chief physios, a guy called Victor Popoff, who's still a great mate of mine, who's an Olympic physio and Tour de France physio, and he's a genius. But those mad Cossacks, he knew what he was doing. and He got me up and we played Adelaide that next week. And, it's one of the greatest games you'll ever see. You want to see some skill. You want to see a great game that went down to the wire. We lost that by five points. But playing against uh, Darren Jarman, who was kicking goals like I do, left and right foot. And you almost missed him, though, that quick. It was just a super game. And so, Lee, you could see within a week, we'd gone home and played unbelievable footy but lost. And Lee was like, well, you know, yeah, well, you know, it's an honourable loss, honourable loss. And we're like, yeah, we lost. And it was a, a better performance. So when Essendon rolled around the following week, they hadn't lost that year. They'd lost one game in the last, uh, you know, 20, what's that, uh, the whole season the year before in the shortened season or not that's finished early in the 2000 because of the Olympics. So they were on fire. They were the best team in the comp, no doubt, up to that point. We beat them. And I remember I said it last week in another podcast and, and to, my, to Lee and also to, uh, I suppose, we did a documentary for the Lions. And I just sort of said, the thing about that, and I was sort of helping Lee remember, because not only was that the famous, you know, if it bleeds, we can kill it, you know, from Arnold Schwarzenegger saying that in The Predator. But the big thing about that, that week was that we, we just needed to be a team all across the park. You just need to do your little part, do your job. Lee was always a guy that just make it really simple. Like we'd have the same five things, you know, uh, you know, basically uh, harder and lower, which back then you could do, you know, you could, as long as you got your head lower, you'd take out their legs. It wouldn't matter. You'd win the ball. That was always a good sign. Tackle and dump because you could do that back then as well. So we'd want to hurt the opposition. You take them to ground and they generally get up twice as long as if you just tackle them normally. Plus you'll get up quicker. And then, you know, things like, our forward pressure, or sorry, our whole game plan really about moving the ball quick, back instinct. So we're talking about those things, but playing against Essendon, we're able to do a, a number of different roles. You would have had everyone doing their, their part, but it was a six, eight-man sort of effort to shut down their offence and try and, you know, make the most of it. And we played a great game. We won by 20 points, but I think the realisation that the best team in the comp up here uh, and the frustration afterwards when I, I saw Matty Lloyd who's a wonderful full forward. And he said at the airport after the game that, you know, well, we lost and we didn't play that well. Gave us absolutely no credit. Gave us no, like, good for them. They'll be tough if they keep that up. Like, none of that stuff. You know, typical arrogance when you're at the top of your game and your team's the best in the comp. And let me tell you, we didn't play them again until the, the grand final, of course. And by then, lots had happened. We'd, we'd won 15, 16 games straight. We were winning by 60 points plus on average. And our game plan, while pretty predictable to many, was still unstoppable if we did it the way we wanted. And our forward pressure was able to just turn, you know, get turnover after turnover. And I think come the grand final, we all, I had that, I know I did, forgetting the Brownlow and the week that is and the, the sort of anxiety of playing your first grand final. To go up against Essendon again after, they just dismissed us like we were nothing. All those rounds before, 
and going to play in Perth where we really struggled to win in the wet and winning that game the next week, it was that that was more important, that whole four weeks to go from getting flogged, really honourable but good game, you know, and then beating the best, but then also going and travelling. And that's the other part of the, the debate, really, when you think about, you know, the, the best teams, you know, the Hawthorne and Geelong, they, they play a lot of good games at home as well, but they also don't have to travel as much. So there's a different dynamic. You've got to get on a plane, takes time, you know, all those things that you never really think about when you live in Melbourne, as I did, and played in the AFL down there too. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a very good point because all three of those other sides, Melbourne-based, and we know Richmond had a very charmed MCG run at the end, I think, of their 2019 year. Um, the Brownlow took uh, – what, at what point do you think in that season, I, I'm, I'm a chance here, or at least what point in the night are you seeing the vote count? Thing, and you get that little predicted votes card. Are you thinking, I'm, I'm on here? Yeah, back then they didn't really have uh, the predicted vote cards. I remember what happened – in 99, it was a key year because I'd scored 10, 11 votes, which was our highest for the club. And we obviously finished third. And it was, it was good to see that the blonde hair and stuff, the change I'd made at the start of 99, were actually getting votes. So I, I'm already thinking if I play well, I'm getting noticed. I'm, I'm going to get some votes. And that year, like that first half was so good. I knew I'd get a few votes and I didn't know how many. But of course... The secret with Brownlows, because there's only ever three, two, one, and the umpires votes. And I, I had a good relationship with the umpires then. I always did, but you never really know. And I kicked a lot of goals late in games, which always helps. And then, you know, to get to, to win, you do need a lot of three voters and three pointers. And I got a lot of three votes early in the year that really did set it up. Halfway, I was still like, you know, my, my second half of the year wasn't as good as I like. I put on sort of kilo and a half, which was great, great for strength, but didn't feel like I was running as well. I felt a bit gassed uh, towards the end of that uh, season. Anyway, Andrew McLeod, who, you know, I played with, and he's a good mate of mine. He's a wonderful guy. He, I played with him when we went over to Ireland. We played at home and away. So, you know, I'm always, I was sort of half cheering for him anyway, but they interviewed me at halfway and, Back then, you never saw the games. And most of the people outside of Brisbane probably didn't notice just how well I played early in the year. Just Everyone knew we were winning later in the year. But, of course, all the, the other midfielders, the stars of our team, started to really play well. So you're never really sure. Uh, my, our media manager at the time, a guy called Peter Blucher, he comes over to me and goes, mate, you know, we were all in our club suits. We're at home. We're at, at the Legends room, you know, Ackermanus room, whatever it's called these days. And, and I've got, I'm sitting there and he goes, hey, Hey, mate, you're a chance here. You wanna, you wanna probably, you know, think about doing a speech just in case. And it was probably at that point I went, oh man. Well, we weren't drinking anyway because we had a grand final to go and do. It's probably like, oh, I better start thinking about it. You know, I better start entertaining the reality that it could happen, even though you don't want it to, even though you kind of dreamt of it. So there's all these competing things, but no doubt that last round, it still came down the last round. I got three votes in round 21 playing Geelong. And the guy who tagged me got two votes. I don't know how well he tagged me, but anyway, he got he got two votes. But Andrew McLeod had 35 touches and kicked a goal in his last game. A Fremantle lost, and he turns out he didn't get a vote, which was uh, crazy. But you know that's the way it works sometimes. So in the end, it worked in my favour. And it wasn't really until you know I got up there and I'm talking to Bruce McAvaney, who had clearly too much red wine. It was uh, until I'm standing there still in disbelief. But you know, with all that's happened, at least I was like, ah, oh, well. Was, uh, I was a good enough player to be remembered enough to win a Brownlow in a good team. We still, the next day, while I bounced out of bed, we still had a grand final to go and win. So it wasn't really like I could drink my own bath water for too long. It would have been yeah. uh, a little bit uh, premature, shall we say. 
Yeah, absolutely. The bigger, bigger fish to fry. Um, moving on then to 2002, an incredible grand final. But on a personal note, you, you injured your groin quite early in that game. I mean, we've seen the, the Bashar Huli story from last year where he hurts his calf and Dima demands he goes back on. When, when you hurt your groin, I mean, what's that conversation like? Did you have a conversation with Lee or did you just put the head down, keep it to yourself and keep going on? Well, I did it early, yeah. It was sort of really odd and unlucky. I mean, talk about the worst timing of all time. The wet, if you ever saw me playing in the wet, I'd argue with anyone if who wants to go at it and say I wasn't the best wet weather player I've ever played. I mean, every time I did, I got three voters. So when it was raining and cold, I was like, man, this is going to be the greatest day ever. And uh, Ben Johnson, not the Canadian drug taker, the, uh, the, the Collingwood player, he was on me. Forward, two goal, two quick kicks on goal. I think I hit the post twice. Just went down to pick up the ball. He just got me perfect. But as he got me perfect, my sort of legs splayed and that that ripped the groin. I didn't know at the time how bad it was, but I also knew I had no power. I just and the pain was immense. So I go to the Victor comes out. Victor pop off and he says, uh, "Mate, we can't we can't needle it." And I'm like, "What do you mean you can't needle it? Give me something." And like you know, he goes, "All we can do is strap it up and just take a little bit of pressure because the adductors do so much work in Aussie Rules footy." And in the end, it was it was a horrible experience to go through and then have to go and play. They gave me a couple of bits of pain relief. I think two Panadol, two Nurofen. I mean, fair dinkum, you know. The the amount of pain I was in with a half ripped off, you know, groin tendon from the pubis bone is 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 indescribable in some ways, but to actually go and try and run, I was probably lucky it was wet because I still had 15 touches. I ended up kicking the winning goal. So off the left foot, because that was the only one that worked, I tried to kick right foot later in the game. Just had no power, no balance. The ball went across the ground and it was horrible. And then I remember Robert Walls, who was in the box at the time, one of my former coaches, he, he was saying, there's nothing wrong with that guy. You know, this is not right. If he's, why is he kicking left foot? And, you know, walls are being walls. He's just commentating what he sees. But of course, you know, afterwards we have we win. We had a great 2002 season. The season, the season that is the home and away. So we get over the line, and Collingwood were wonderful that day. And we we always uh, and and never forget that they, had, to their credit, like they played unbelievable. The tackling rate was awesome. It it suited them as far as how they wanted to play. That was their best chance. And they had us. They had us where they wanted us. Uh, Rockers goal. You know, did it go through or not? Well, we'll never know. But, of course, umpire said it didn't. And Chris Johnson said it looked pretty close to me. Even Lee said it it did. And in the end, a little bit of luck and the frustration for Collingwood. They they turned up and played one of the best games you'll ever see for a losing grand final team. I know there's been some great games. But, honestly, they were, they were as lucky as we were lucky. But to have me sort of injured was uh, we missed, I think, uh, a great opportunity to really, for me personally, would have been a great day if uh, we're sort of getting tight during the final series. But it actually goes back to those groins. The problems I had were from the Australian Island games because you're kicking around corners. And mm. I'd carried that for a number of years. And it was yeah, no doubt that that, while it was great playing for my country, actually long-term till that point, uh, we did get better after that because I had the surgery. But when the surgeon went in to operate, I'd had a mad Monday. It was like Tuesday. And he said he made the incision. And as he made the incision to do what they call adductor tenotomy, which is they cut out uh, the, the sort of about an inch worth of tendon and uh, it, it grows back as muscle. It takes about nine months, which it did to get my full sort of 55, 60 meter kicks going. But, uh, and they do both sides because if you don't, then you generally come back within 12 months to get the other one done. So I was like, oh, just do that. 
And uh, he said as he did the incision, this, this sort of older blood had gone up and, and sort of squirted out in such a way that he thought he hit an artery. So we drank that much and the pooling blood just made him completely shit himself. It was hilarious for uh, Neil Halpern. But anyway, we got the job done. You mentioned Collingwood there were quite unlucky in their own way. Do you think getting over the line, when they put in their best performance they can, they still can't beat you? Do you think coming back in 03, where you guys do rip them apart, essentially, do you think mentally maybe you just had their number? Because they did beat you in the qualifying final that they year. Did, but, they did. But do you we, think we maybe some big dance you had them? Yeah, we were worried. We were worried. They had that four-point win in that qualifying final, and it was a good game at the MCG. We ended up – we were pretty – uh, sore and battered in that first game. But the odd thing about that 2003 series, as it went on, we came back, played at home, uh, we won, went and played Sydney in Sydney, the only game they've lost at ANZ Stadium in a final. And, you know, they were coming at three-quarter time. And I think what people didn't realise that Lee was alluding to it, except for Nigel Lapham busting his ribs uh, from thanks to Sean Hart late in the game, which was an accident, we were getting healthier and healthy. So the boys went from being battered and bruised to being pretty much everyone but Nige in absolute tip-top shape. So come the final, the grand final, we were thinking, look, if we make this an athletic contest, you know, we could be in trouble here because it had a lot of changes from the two years, from 2002 to 2003. So a lot more running power, a lot more young players. But you never know how they're going to perform on the big day. We certainly uh, maximised early, but then you know, our pressure and there, a couple of the young players, Shaw and a few other guys made some errors that, that were the ultimate costs for them because that we scored on them and I think that it's sort of early in the game to have a deflated spirit like that is quite difficult they lost Rocker in the prelim final he was very important to them particularly in the ruck so I think they came in thinking we're a chance with it we're worried losing Rocker almost uh I don't know what it did to their psyche because early in the game they really just struggled with what was going on so it happens it, uh, it was a good win in the end and, and a magnificent three-peat. Obviously, the fourth year wasn't far off either. But, uh, you know, for them, and, and uh, I feel for them in some ways, but, you know, you've got to be able to perform in September. And we always felt we had another gear and we found another gear and we had to because after that qualifying final loss, uh, yeah, we, we got lucky, got healthy. And in the end, the wind, uh, wind was all about us playing our best footy at the right time, pressure-wise, and we converted and that's that. Yeah, I think you guys you guys never really won a minor premiership either. I think you speak of that extra gear. I think no one really has ever done it as well as Brisbane um, in that era did. Um, 04 rolls around. You boys well documented how sore and battered the team was and Port get the chockies there. We'll touch on it just quickly. How, how, how sore were the boys? I mean, did you guys crawl into that game with more hope than expectation? Yeah, it was... What happened, what really hurt us was Andrew Demetrio and the fat Cypriot. Like, I got nothing nice to say about him about that particular month where at the time they had the AFL rules where you had to play one game at the MCG. Now, that, that is your typical Melbourne Mafia rubbish that the AFL just had to get rid of, which they have now, of course. But the two things that hurt us, one was playing in the way prelim final should have been at home at the MCG against Collingwood. Two, they gave a full 24 hours break, which they hadn't have done you know, ever, and they, they still minimise those breaks so the teams can get enough recovery. To, by the time we, we played Geelong, they should have won. I, I really feel like they, they just missed a bunch of opportunities late. We won the game, kicked a late goal. Not, not a huge game by any stretch, but, you know, it was, it was a tight game. But they sort of more, uh, I suppose, had stage fright than they needed to. Had we played it at home, 
we would have flogged them, I have no doubt. But the, the, the things that happened in that game, we had three injuries that hurt us the following week. And we sort of, as a coach, you have to play those players. Uh, Brownie broke his, uh, his, one of his tib fib. He sort of had a big crack in that, so he played. Uh, we had Elsa Lynch did a quad and Craig McRae did a hamstring. All three play. We were still in front at half time, but the, just the sheer amount of energy in that second half that they had versus us was in no doubt the lack of, you know, foresight and leadership from the AFL at the time to have a full 24-hour break, not playing at home, having to go back-to-back travels was, was always a concern for us. We never always played that well. We were always susceptible to losing, even with our, our best team on the park because of the travel factor and, all, and you can't get the quality training. And so all these factors, plus the you know, AFL's rubbish rules, just conspired against us. And, and I remember at the time, the things that annoyed me more than ever, and it annoys Lee, you know, you had Bomber Thompson at the time going, oh, I can't be good for the competition if someone wins four in a row. Mate, he never complained once when they were going for theirs. And with, you know, it's just the hypocritical nature of the Victorian mentality, you know, and another coach said the same. And I'm thinking, man, you guys have no idea how hard this is. You have no idea, you know, to get in this position to create history. Obviously, there's it's, it's in the AFL history. We've won three and four in a row, and, and that's still, I don't think, being beaten. But, you know, it, it just it burns in your soul when you know the system on purpose come up against you and riled against you. And that, that was really what happened. So, you know, a good win from them. And they, they always know that was one that they, they'd been minor premiers, had a great four years, but they didn't really have another gear. So they needed to get a bit lucky and you need a bit of luck. They had headquarters working for, get, uh, you know, for them. They had a, a great win against St Kilda on the Friday night by a goal. So, you know, the relief just to get in the grand final for them would have been awesome. So to win it, all credit to them. But let me tell you, had the system been a little bit fairer and we love fairness, that result would have been a hell of a lot different. Yeah, I think the the prelim final one for Mario as a kid watching it, thinking this doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and now, yeah, as, you, you get, sense. as you get older, you start to look in, you start to look at these things, and they, yeah, they clear up a little. Um, yeah, we'll we'll touch on your departure now from Brisbane. Obviously, a well, another well documented part of your career. I mean. What what did happen? I mean, you, you you've gone for a Brownlow Medal, three-time Premiership player, a legend of the football club, and then all of a sudden you're out. It's pretty acrimonious circumstances. I mean, what happened? What were the conversations you had with some of the powers that be? Yeah, it was really it was pretty simple. I mean, I'd won the uh, the best and fairest in two thousand five. Had a great year. The boys didn't quite. We had a lot of players leave, experienced players from those Premierships. You know, so we lost thousands of games of of experience, which didn't help. 2006, first round, we get beaten by Geelong and I made the error of, of writing a column which said, because at that stage, they really did, they were rotating three players for me personally as a half forward on, on baller and I'm getting tagged by three players. So it was quite annoying that we weren't utilising the bench in that way. And so I wrote a column intimating it and uh, that was not a, you know, a good idea because Lee, like all humans, there's no difference. You, you get criticism, you're always trying to justify it. Such is the reality humans you can criticize any leader and they will swear black and blue until they're in their 90s that they were doing the right thing that's just the way humans are so to do that to leave publicly was a very bad and dumb and rookie mistake so what i should have done is said it privately but you know over the course of that year that's a good 42 i think i kicked three goals and we won the very last game ever played which was down at marvel stadium now and we we sort of won that one and came back and you know, I'd said something in the press and Lee was like, you can't talk to the press and all these rubbish rules. And all of a sudden, 
you know, the goalposts changed dramatically from do what you want, we're winning, to we're not winning, can't do a thing. And it's like, mate, you know, you can't be driving the hypocrite bus. So Lee and I would talk often. Uh, I remember in that period, you know, Lee was certainly saying, look, I'm, we, we eventually agreed, I think it was just before I got sacked, that, you know, that I'll move on at the end of the year and let's just try and finish it strong. We didn't make finals anyway. But, you know, at the time, you know, the anxiety and stress to be a coach then when your team, you know, you've been the best coach, you've been the best team. Uh, and the reality is you go back down the ladder, you know, you've got to rebuild. It's horrible. So for Lee, with all that, plus me being mischievous and, and devious and, and him making some decisions that were baffling to me and the press getting leaked stuff from not just me, but, you know, other players and other other uh, support staff was just, it was just untenable. But in the end, as, as always happens, you know, if you are the guy that had singled out, uh, like I was, you know, you're the sacrificial lamb in some ways. I also was like that in 2002 when I won the Brownlow when none of the players were doing any media and Lee would do all the media. And that was crazy because up here you need the media, you need the help. So I go and do a column, which he, he always did the editing you know, I'm on radio in Triple M and then I'm, I've got my TV show by now, you know. So this is a big step forward. And Lee wasn't happy because he couldn't control what he liked to control. But by the following year, you know, you've got myself, Michael Voss, Justin Leppage, Alison Lynch, pretty much doing the other radio uh, stations up here, doing columns on the other days. And then, you know, they're doing TV so and tips and stuff. So it's, it just, in some ways, you take the good and the bad. But that was uh, just a simple, hey, you're a fault, you're to blame which, you know, for a lot of angst I was, but, you know, it was, I wasn't the only reason we were going backwards. There was lots of other reasons I got dropped for, for playing pretty, pretty good footy. And then young blokes coming in, Lee just wanted to make that uh, a bit of a, you know, a warning sign. But in the end, it was, you know, you're never going to get a, keep a player on side. Didn't give me enough leadership roles. I'm ready. So, you know, all those things just worked against us. So I think July 20th uh, at, in that year with sort of eight games ago or something, I was out. And that was that. And it was, it was sad, but, you know, I never got to say goodbye. But there was a lot of, a lot of goodness in there in, in 12 years and 248 games. But, yeah, the end's always bad. You, you like to do it better, but no one ever leaves a club on those terms feeling good about yourself, that's for sure. And I'm sure Lee didn't feel overly enthused about having the, you know, lost the most popular player in his team, the one that brought the most crowds in, you know. It was a, a real showman that was great for the game. It wasn't easy for him too. So, in the end, we... We parted ways and that's that. Did you feel like you, you deserved better? Obviously, Lee's made, made his decision for whatever reason it is, but did you feel as someone who'd given so much to the club and, and brought in so much attention to footy up north, do you feel like maybe even if Lee does want you going into the year, you, you deserve the opportunity to maybe play out those final eight games or farewell the crowd? Self, absolutely. Like, uh, there's no doubt. Like, uh, you know, you deserve better. You always deserve better when you've given so much. And you've, you know, invested so much. I came through here. I grew up here. I copped it all the time, you know, for playing Aussie Rules footy, playing the AFL. I was in year 12 going to Nudgee College on an athletic scholarship. I couldn't afford to go there. I'd cop it from the guys. I didn't even know. I went down and played on the weekend in the biggest, you know, competition in the country and come back and be there Monday morning for class. Like, you know, so I'd seen all that. And it was a bit, un in some ways, very unjust. But I have no doubt that... Uh, you know, you push Lee to the end and it was not big enough for both of us. And that was the way it was. I think, you know, even when I finished in the AFL, it was horrible. Like they didn't give you a, a, a pinch of shit really where you should have been able to get a last game, finish off the year, all that sort of stuff. So 
yeah, not much fun, but in the end, uh, there's not a, a logical soul that doesn't think that you deserved a little bit better when you leave a, a club like Brisbane. And what were the relationships like immediately afterwards? Obviously, a lot was made. Um, it is a controversial departure, but what were your initial relationships like with some of the leaders like a Jonathan Brown or a Lee Matthews? What were they like when you left? And what are they like now? Have, have you improved on many of them? Oh, they're all great. Yeah, no, they're really good. All my teammates. But from that era, we have such a strong bond. It's not funny. I'm just organising a golf day uh, on early October for the 20-year anniversary. So hopefully they can all come up. I think the biggest thing was what really gave me the shits back then was Lee saying that the leadership group was unanimous. And I'm like, I don't reckon, because I've got a lot of mates in there and they all know me that were all there as young kids coming through and they, they saw all the things I went through, good and bad, and my mum's passing and all this kind of stuff. And they knew where I was from. And so I didn't really believe that. So, of course, I rang every one of them. Uh, some were, ah, well, you know, it, that's, it's, it's what happened. And, yeah, we voted and you're out. And that's fine. But then you had, you know, other guys going, well, you know, I could tell you it's not anonymous because, uh, sorry, uh, unanimous. I didn't vote for that. For example, uh, you know, I don't want to tip blokes in. And then I rang Brownie and Brownie was young. He's a leader, but, you know, more, oh, mate, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, all handballing responsibility. So in the end, I worked out that it wasn't unanimous, which is fine. I didn't think it was because my mates wouldn't do that. I'm sure that they were just as frustrated as I was, but then they also knew that Lee had made the decision. It was Lee's decision. It became a dictatorship and it was really just manly and that's fine too. And I think in the end, those friendships, because they were so strong, the bonds were so strong, they've actually been able to last quite comfortably well and truly after and 20 years later of course you know I know all of them and, and catch up with all of them and it's, it's all sweet and it was really just me and Lee just disagreeing and that was that we, we parted ways he was happy I was happy the club had to move forward and that's that just shows you the reality that the, the club is always bigger than the individual no matter how much you think it's about you and how important you are and 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 same goes for Lee. You make the move down to down to Melbourne and you land at the Western Bulldogs. Um, one, how, how did that come about? How, why the dogs? And were there many other clubs in pursuit of you? And two, what was it like playing down in Melbourne now in front of big crowds all the time? Yeah, I remember and we played in big crowds up here. Don't worry about that. But I, playing, going to the Bulldogs was, there was a couple of things in my favour. Back then, you know, you had to go back into the draft. You had to get traded, which took all, I think it was a record 20 seconds or something I was traded. But, you know, we had Carlton were sniffing around. We had Dennis Pagan, but, you know, he, depending on caps and stuff. But really, the two big ones were Essendon and the Dogs. The reason we chose the Dogs, they looked like they were, they were a better list at the time. They just won their first final. Had a lot of improvements that were about to happen. They hadn't happened yet, but they were worse. So they really sold me the future. But the deal was better. Like, it was three years and 50 grand more a year. I was 30 at this stage, but, well, turning 30. So, you, you know, you don't have... You could play a lot of years, but of course the system back then, you know, they you're on the wrong side of 30. They, they they try and get you out as quick as they can because they think that's just the way it was done back then. That was the mentality. So the Bulldogs, their future, their list was better. I spoke to Bomber Thompson. There was a chance to go to Geelong, but it was it was on pretty pretty average money, which didn't quite suit me at the end of my career. So media-wise, the opportunities were there. I thought that's where I, I did end up there for many years after. So that decision was the best one. It's one that I would never change again. We played in three prelims in that four, in those four years. The first year, we didn't make the finals, but with the crazy coach, Rodney Eade. And then the irony is one of my assistant coaches and, you know, old 
AFL player, a guy called Darren Creswell, is quite close with, uh, with Rocket. And they talked all the time, actually. I just uh, got him a house up here and, and we'll sell his house later either this year or next year. So it's crazy all those years ago. But he, he really said, mate, he's misunderstood. He's going to be good for your group. He's, he's a good leader. And that did help Rodney commit to me. And when I went down and spoke to the leadership group, because, you know, they go in the leaders and all this kind of other shit, uh, I sat in there and I just said, look, why, why, why would I come here? What's, you know, how are you going with your groins? And I sort of went at the players because I wanted to know. But when I walked away from that meeting, I knew the deal was better, the future looked brighter. And Essendon had Kevin Cheedy at the time and I was concerned they were going to sack him. And that was the other thing that weighed into my mind. And they ended up doing that that next year. So... All those things conspired and certainly helped the Bulldogs' decision. And, and really, there was I, I couldn't look back and say I could have gone Geelong, got another three flags and all that because the reality was my mind and, the, and where I needed to be, it just it wasn't going to fit. So then at the Dogs, it was, it was short and sharp in reality. Do you feel when you got there that maybe your reputation preceded you and that maybe there was a few preconceived ideas by the powers that be at the Dogs? Oh, definitely. Like the powers... And the CEO wasn't too bad. I mean, David Smorgan, the, uh, the president, was, you know, uh, he's a bit of an idiot, but he knows, he knows that. I know, you know, everyone knows that. I've told him that. I've said it publicly, so he shouldn't be too shocked. And I think, yeah, the preconceived ideas, absolutely. I mean, I'd, I'd been very vocal in the media for years. Like, it wasn't like since 2002 through to when I went there in 2006. So, you know, it wasn't like... They only ever saw the big headlines down there because I, I did columns every week. So, but once I got in there and they got to know me, that the, everything changed. Everyone was like, "Man, it's you know." I thought, you know, even Luke Darcy, who's you know got an opinion on everything and, and commentates now, et cetera, et cetera. Like even he was a very hard man to get on side, but he was like everything I thought about him, you know, completely changed once I spoke to him. And I suppose once you get to know me, that's you know, the, all that other crap is is just irrelevant. And they can get to, as, as all humans are, once you, you know, hear a story, talk to each other, work together, kick goals together, play together, it, it all changes. The bonds are different. So four years and 77 games, would have liked to have finished in that prelim with them. And, and I, I know I could have helped, but, you know, it, they just shit the bed a bit and their leadership just, uh, it went missing. And a few players were not happy with some of the things I sort of said about different stuff in columns. So they, they cracked the sads and in the end, was uh, going to be easier for them to take the easy road. Of course, it doesn't solve anything. They still, you know, didn't help me at all. And, and it was one of the most profile workplace bullings. Ironically, they were sponsored by WorkSafe who were dead against the workplace bullying. So anyway, that's the hypocritical nature of leadership and also the AFL and AFL clubs at times. But, you know, it, uh, it's nothing you can do. You, you, I tried my best to stay there and I didn't agree with them and it, it, it didn't suit their agenda. And that was that. I was gone. You mentioned the word bullying there, and it is, it is a strong word. What, what were some of the things um, that were happening that you, you found yourself on the end of that make you bring up that word? And when we talk about that, I mean, what were some of those conversations like on your way out of the dogs? Well, it was pretty easy. I mean, they made, I was doing everything fine when we were winning and doing columns, and all of a sudden the handstand's an issue. Like, you know, so I stopped that to be part of the team. Like, they were just so about, you know, being an individual is just so not the team thing, which of course is complete shit. You know, individuals are your team. They make up their, their beauty amongst them is what makes teams work. So they just didn't get that. They were very uh, anxious on, on success. They hadn't had it for a long time and they really didn't know what to do. 
and the other things too that really stood out was just the I would talk one on one with the players that had issues, and a couple of guys just you know you couldn't talk to them. You're thinking to yourself, look, you know, get on the level, bit of empathy, you know, all the things that do work. And these guys just uh, eventually said to the leadership, look, I, I don't want to play with this guy. And then Brad Johnson, who is a good fella, was stuck in the middle. He had all these guys on one side telling him who were leaders. I had a lot of support, but they were generally the younger, not so much leaders who could really voice an opinion. So while I probably had 50-50, I had the wrong 50 against me, really. I had all the experienced players saying, no, he's too selfish, he's doing this. And it really was just them hyperboling it. And then Brad Johnson would sit there and say, mate, there's no support for you here. And I'm like, mate, what fucking planet are you on? You don't need support. If I'm on the field, would you play with me? And would I do the job? You don't need to agree with what I do off the field. You know, it's not like I'm going around bashing women and taking drugs and doing this other crap. Like, honestly, you guys need to get some perspective and realise what you stand for. Do you allow blokes to be different and come in and add to your team? Or are you going to soup it up because, you know, he doesn't do what we say or he does not everything he does, I agree with. Mate, there's not a person on the planet that you're going to have 100%. Oh, yeah, no, I agree with him. Everything he does is good. Like, come on, it's just complete rubbish. So, in the end, uh, we put in a bad spot, poor Brad Johnson, and, and uh, you know, I get called into a meeting and there's, you know, all the heads of everything, including the president, who's, uh, you know, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? I mean, you know, this is a football matter, but, you know, that was the way it was. They had to show, like, this power force, you know. I'm up against six of them, and they all agree unanimously again. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. You boys don't realise, like, it doesn't solve anything. You're not getting anywhere with it. Um, you know, yeah, you'll have supporters, and, yeah, I'll have supporters, and you'll have haters, and I'll have haters. But in the end, boys, it, it doesn't solve anything. It's a hiding to nothing. And that was that. I was done. And um, they were pretty happy after they won the next game. But in the end, we didn't quite get there as a group. But 77 games and played right there and did some good things. But, yeah, up against the, the tide of shit, really. Do you feel, obviously, another mid-season departure and you, again, don't get to finish off the way you would have wanted. Do you feel, though, that, especially for that Dogs team, that was so so close to success that at times at that time they could have just put aside the fact that maybe off-field they didn't agree with you, but on-field you were getting the job done. You kicked 40-odd goals. In um in your second last season, do you think they could have yeah. could have turned around and been like, all right, look, end of the year, we're probably going to go our separate ways, but on field he's contributing. Let's get let's get this trophy, let's get this cup, and then we can discuss it then. Yeah, and that's that's the great hindsight. I knew the best option was to to keep us and work together, and and they just didn't agree. I think the two things that got me the irony is that no one ever tells you this, but the two times I got sacked was the two times I had hamstring tendon injuries, but very rare. Hard to get. They don't really go away quickly. And that hurt me on the field. So I couldn't get out there and just do my thing and stick it up like I always would. And so the two times I got it, oh, man, I had one on the – both on the right side. one on the outside and the tenant with Brisbane when I got sacked. And then one on the inside. And they're just not easy to get rid of because you need it for your power and your stopping. So bad luck, bad timing. But also uh, once you become invaluable, you know, or – not valuable on the field, don't they just oh jump off here and want to get rid of you? And it's it's a sad truth about playing professional sport and having any type of of injury where you're restricted. And a lot of good players have had to shorten their career for whatever reason, whether it's head knocks or just physical injury. And that happened to me, and it was oh man, it was it was frustrating because it was the only time I really couldn't just stick it up. I and mean, that's that's what hurt. It wasn't all that other stuff. I would have been able to get on the field and play well, and I guarantee you they would have been ah, oh, it's not that bad. You know, like when you win and play well, it solves all these other problems and all of a sudden those issues are gone. 
and I just couldn't do it. And that's what that hurt me just as much as me disagreeing with their their lack of leadership or or just the the balls to to stay the course and finish the season. Was there when when you left? Was there any inkling to either go to a third club or do you, you know get jump in the media full time or maybe find a coaching role somewhere? What was what was your immediate thought? You're out of you're out of the system again. What's your immediate thought? What was your next plan? Yeah, I couldn't really see myself playing anymore because I just, at 33 and 325 games, I just had shits with the whole bullshit that came with the politics and these blokes that have no tolerance for people who are different like me. Like, I just, I couldn't tell you that I just, I'd, I'd reached the end of my tether. So the options were, yeah, maybe go to coach, but I was not keen to do that for a few years. Had the media, so I knew I'd be in the media for a bit. I was doing some foreign exchange anyway, so that all led on to the craziness is today, you know. Uh, but I'd coached for five years, sort of in between that, between then and now. I'd set a game record. The very first game I played was the next year. I played in a place called Glenorchy in Tasmania against Clarence. It's still a, a, a Tasmanian record for a local game ever played. They had an old record. We surpassed that with 9,600 and something. So we had a big going on. It was pretty cool. We played six games there and and uh, then I went around and played one-off games, did the media, flew on the weekends, helped a lot of clubs out. You know, everyone won. And then did the foreign exchange, which was awesome, built that. Media stopped a few years later and then ended up doing AR, which four and a half years ago, uh, got a degree in coaching, thought I'd go down coaching, but didn't quite get there. Yeah, AFL obviously doesn't like certain people, don't like uh, anyone that might come in and be a bit different. I mean, God help me. So that was the universe telling me, mate, stick at what you're doing. And then eventually... You know, the AR in Zucas and, of course, Zoo, Zoo Coins, which is the very first compliance and certified uh, coin that's instant. And instant, it's 13 years ahead of everything else, decades ahead, really. Uh, so that's, they all come out. But I, in the meantime, I was like, oh, I can't stay in, in Albury. I went to Q School for golf. I'd finished coaching. I was looking after our then one and two-year-old when my wife worked and going to play golf on the other day. So it was, it was pretty hectic. But I just said, that's it. I'm out. So last year, lockdown, lost a couple of million bucks in the market. So that was always good fun. Uh, it's fucking everything I'd ever earned in footy and, and uh, real estate just went to nothing or near nothing. And I said, that's it. I'm getting my real estate license, auctioneering license, which I've got. And I said to the girls who are in Albury, I'm out. And I left and left them behind. I said, I'm, I need to, you know, just need to do this. And a week later, uh, the premier up here, Anastasia Palachuk, who's a complete idiot like the rest of them, uh, closed the borders and no one wanted to be in a hotel quarantine with Mike Tyson, the two-year-old. Two they just like, that's it. And they just chucked everything in the car and in, in the mother-in-law's and the father-in-law's, my father-in-law caravan who were down with us. They, they'd they already left. They all the, had all the clothes and our worldly belongings just stayed down there. And no one ever told you about all that sort of stuff. So in all that journey, you have all this good and bad, and make millions and then you've lost it because the, the Chinese come up with some virus that just, you know, the boogeyman that no worse than the flu and everyone shits themselves. So the fear and everything got me back home at least. So in some ways the good is moving back and the, the bad was uh, having to leave the girls behind. But a week later they were all here anyway. So we've been here just over a year now and that's life. You just got to keep, it's like a shark, you know, a shark, if it ever stays still, it goes backwards, it drowns. So a shark is as evil as it may be to some, it, it always has to move forward. So I always use that analogy because in life, it's pretty much like that. You can't just stop and dwell and feel sorry for yourself. You get on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. You're a human highlight reel on the field. 
but one obviously stands out. It's those two goals against Geelong that we touched on the celebration a bit ago. I remember watching that as a kid. I, I remember thinking, this is unbelievable. Take, take us into that, and especially the second goal, because the first one you kick, yep, sweet. But the second time you pick up the ball, same spot, and you're thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this again. I'm drop punting at this time as well. I mean, what, what's going through your head? Is that moving quickly that moment, or is it everything slowing down for you in that, in that space? So what happened that game, it was the last game before we had a week off, a bye. So we were always feeling pretty good. Wet day. Geelong, we didn't know. They had about six blokes with some kind of cold or flu or some crap. I don't know. They were really off. But for me, again, the wet, I'd already had a really good half, lots of touches. I'd kicked a couple of goals. And then I had a rest in the third and came back late in the quarter. And when I came back, obviously, manager's back up and I'm running around. I'm already dominating the game. You know, that day I had 35 touches, nine tackles and five goals, something. So it was an outrageous day. But it's sort of when you get in the zone, that first goal I kicked sort of had to snap it around and they didn't have, you know, the goal line reviews. It just sort of snuck over. It might have got touched if they had the review, but, you know, no one ever, you know, I think Scarlett and, and Daniel Bradshaw were clapping. They were like, that's fine. They went through. and then But the next one was a bit of in the moment stuff because we sort of got it. Ash McGar, give it. I give it over to Blackie. Blackie says, no, he could have just turned around, kicked the goal. He says, I'll give it back. And I'm like, man, I'm on here. I'm just going to, you know, here I'm running full pelt. You got uh, Blackie's tagger the day, on the day, and, and usual tagger, Cameron Ling coming at me. So there was a, there's a case of, well, he, he's pretty hard to get around. He's, he's sort of 190. He's a big guy and he can. He's quite quick, over five metres. So, it's, you know, my mind is, is, is running this all through really quickly. But in the end, I get it and I'm like, I'm going to have a shot of you. I mean, we're already up. We're already going to win late in the third. Who cares? Have a crack. She goes through. And I'd sort of seen a bunch of like – one of my favourite players ever watching the EPL was a guy called Eric Cantona. He's, he was amazing to watch. He's an amazing player. But so cool. And when he did stuff, you know, I remember seeing one of the goals he kicks. You could look it up. Uh, even he danced around a couple of players. And then he just kicked this beautiful, like, quick floating, uh, dipping – shot a goal and, and the goal he just had no idea and I remember Eric turning around and he, he was like he's a bit shocked like he had his mouth open I thought that's a funny that's a cool reaction and then I thought well I'm gonna kick one I'm gonna do one of these one day so a month goes by and I kicked that goal and I'm like you know, I was shocked at it so I was like gonna do the Eric can and I just had to put the hands over the mouth he didn't do any of that but you know just tried to add an extra level you know a bit of mayonnaise a bit of GST and then the rest is here. I kicked two better goals against the Bulldogs in 2004 for 60, 60, 65 metres out on the left foot. My right hammy, I remember, I had the kip going off that game. Bulldogs weren't real tagging. They were pretty aggressive and free-flowing. Free they weren't really doing a shutdown drops. So I had a lot of time and space on that particular day. And you got to look at those two goals. They are in a highlight reel, but, man, they're as good a goal as you'll ever kick. Nearly went, they went over the fence, like 65 on the left. Oh, give us a spell. Like, they were just outrageous. Um, yeah, as I said, like, human highlight reel and gave plenty of fans plenty of reason to watch footy up north. Touch on your crypto quickly. Um, for someone like me who doesn't have much of an idea about that space, can you explain to me what you're doing and the work you're doing in that area? Well, what I say to everyone, and what I have to explain to the way crypto works, you just just use Bitcoin and Zucoin is the easiest way to understand it. So Zucoin was, was invented in 2009, January 3rd. And basically, it was a really good first model. It's like a, like a car, you know, the Model T Ford that was invented 100 years ago. So what they, what they would do, if I want to give you one 
one Bitcoin, which today is worth 69,000 bucks. What it has to do is that's to leave my wallet, go to the exchange, gets mined by miners because it's a digital mining and that costs time and money. Then eventually it gets verified and gets sent to you. But what happens then is everyone's computer that's in the Bitcoin network gets that transaction and it goes into like a piece of paper that you'd go to the bank with and have have like a ledger and the ledger would have every transaction and this happens every day but of course computing power and energy costs like 15 15 or 20 grand to do that as one of my sheets goes but what happens in a computer is as it goes in it's building building all the time it's like a, a piece of nectar and that's that's how a blockchain works that's how the blocks work and they they go around really good first up sort of go i reckon so fast forward 12 years later and we wanted to use Bitcoin with our AR and augmented reality is basically you go through the app and you don't pick up Pokemons, you pick up bags of money. So Zucas does that and then you go into your merchant, say, let's say coffee club, which we were using at the time. We wanted to use Bitcoin. And of course, we're waiting for Bitcoin and Bitcoin would talk for a cup of coffee would cost four bucks to 70 bucks would take four minutes and four hours. It's just too slow. It's not going to work on our system. So we have a worldwide patented product called Splitlock which shreds uh, sort of photos and data and then puts them in the packets and puts them in the sick service. So we re-engineer this selfishly to use it with the AR called ZooCoins. The difference between that blockchain I just explained and then ZooCoins is if I want to give you one ZooCoin, which at the moment is worth 60 bucks. What it does, all I need is my, dev my device, one of these, PWA app, which is the ZooCoins. I send it through a server to you, takes the cost of the text message, uh, the electricity of a text message is like nothing. And of course, the difference with a blockchain only goes down, say the Bitcoin goes down to 16 zero. So you can never buy a cup of coffee anymore, even though that's really what they thought. Yet in 500 years, a zoo coin can be fractioned down to infinite numbers. So you'll always be able to buy a cup of coffee. So that's the difference between a split chain, uh, sorry, split chain and a blockchain. A blockchain is very slow, inefficient, costs a lot of money and, and uh, not scalable. With ZooCoin is obviously instant, much cheaper. And of course, you know, we do everything within the peers. So the blockchain and the peer network with the split chain is completely different. And that's, that's it's like uh, Bugatti Veyron now versus a Model T Ford. They're both cars, but of course, one is just uh, 12 years plus advanced from the last one. And that's, that's how it works. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, and lastly, mate, we'll let you go in a moment. But lastly, what what's your what do you want your legacy to be in terms of football? I think everyone everyone would have an opinion on what they think Acker is. But if you if you could write your memoir, if you could write your gravestone, what would what would you want people to remember you as? Uh, just I think uh, thanks to my coaches, I was the best kick ever played, both feet, anywhere, anytime. Hit your short, medium, long, kick seventy on both feet. I mean, it's still. I don't think there's anyone that can come close even today. There's a few guys who were really good at short, medium kicks, you know. You had Simon Black and, you know, uh, Sam Mitchell and, of course, Andrew Jarman. Uh, sorry, Darren Jarman is a superstar. You had those kind of guys. There's a few guys around today, but, man, they can't, they can't do what I could do, which is – and one day there might be a, a guy who can, but it's going to be a, a pretty rare day who can kick any, any foot at any stage from pretty much inside the, the forward half and kick a goal. So – That'd probably be it. Obviously, you know, I wanted to change the game and the way it was. I mean, the American sports had a big influence on me, you know, talk it up, deliver, you know. So if you're a showman, that could be the best kick ever played and you brought the crowds in, good, bad and indifferent. That's not a bad legacy. So, and of course, the handstands, you know, the handstands we win. We win at home, we do a handstand. That's pretty cool. If you're going to be remembered, you must be remembered for something as positive as that, only on when you win. So I'll take that every day of the week. 
uh, that's for sure. So I'm happy with that. It, uh, you can't do it forever and you, you die once when you're an athlete and now you've got to start again. So it's, uh, it's the way it is. It's the way it is. Nah, too, too, You've been an incredible entertainer in your time and even post-footy, you're still very, very much in the public, um, in the public domain. So we appreciate your time so much, mate. And it's been an absolute honour getting the chat to you. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Glad we could fit you in. Uh, but, you know, right after this, we're back onto it, making phone calls and getting stuff done. But I, I can't think if we time, it's always good because it's more valuable than money this time. It's all we get. Too easy, mate. Thank you. That's all right, brother. Anytime. Bye-bye.